0: Many people in this world, many people in our state, many people in our country, many people in our community, honestly have no idea or understanding how Jesus could change their life because they have no idea what Jesus tastes like. Some of you are coming in here this morning. Go well. This is weird. No, I didn't taste Jesus. Does it ever recorded that the, Jesus, that the disciples licked Jesus's arm or something to taste him? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm a little bit hot up here. Can, am I in the monitors or something? Get out of that. Thanks. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. So, so what, did the, what did the kid do in the video? He, he ate an apple in the back of the class, right? To a very scholarly teacher, he's giving these great answers. It's funny how kids can teach us lessons, right? People that are younger than us. I tell you stories about my, my girls a lot and how God has seriously touched me and moved me and, and changed me um, by what I ask Him, because of what I saw out of my youngest daughter, I've asked God literally to help me pray with the faith of a sixth grader again. Now, some of you are coming in and well, sixth grader is not nearly as mature as you are in the faith. <laughs> Maybe not scholarly and knowledge wise, but they have faith—a childlike faith—is beyond the doubting of adulthood. And I want God to use me. Why do I want him to use me? Because many people have never tasted. If you're in here this morning and you have been affected. You've been changed by the gospel of Jesus. There are a couple things. Number one, it's not just for you. You're not supposed to just keep it. All right, good. This is my little Jesus and I got him and well, that's it. No. When John wrote chapter 3 verse 16 of his gospel he said for god so loved the world he didn't he didn't look down and say just paul just james just bob just whoever he said i came for the whole world and my son was payment enough for all of it but many people have no idea what that taste that action is if you have a worship handout uh, many of you i want to i just want to say something this morning I witnessed some really cool things this morning while I was here, and earlier that I was here, and I got here before some of you, and I didn't, no, I I was the first one here. So I got here before all of you, Um, but before some of you got here today, I I witnessed something. We had some youth, some guys, along with our First Impressions team. If you're a lady and you were escorted in with an umbrella this morning, will you raise your hand? Yeah? Good. That's what we teach our young men to do, by the way, because that's what they should do. I hold my door, I hold the door open for the volleyball team that I coach. And they come in and they're like, thank you, Mr. Griswold. Thank you, Mr. Griswold. Thank you, coach. Thank you, coach. Thank you, coach. But while they're go- coming in, I, 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 I tell them something. <laughs> I give them some advice. Some of them don't follow it because they're scared to death of a- that I actually mean it. And I'm holding the door open for these girls and these beautiful young ladies are coming in to go play volleyball. And, and they said, thank you. And I said, if your boyfriend is not doing this, have him come and talk to me. See Jesus valued women, didn't he? But I was so impressed and I was so I was so joyful to look at these young men and said, "Hey, I'll do it." I mean, you realize that young guys really don't give give a care if they get if they get wet, right? They're like, "Oh yeah, get to play in the rain in church. Cool. It's the coolest church ever." Okay? But if you have your worship hand out, we're going to open up to the first the first page and in the middle we're going to have some blanks to fill in while we go through today's sermon. I had, I had somebody ask me one time, they said, man, how do you, why, why do you do this? And I was very honest with them. You ready? I said, because that helps me not chase rabbits. <laughs> it helps me have an outline, helps me go, okay, so I don't get off on tangents. But this morning, Evidence of Change is the, is the title of the sermon and we are nearing the end. I'm going to do, uh, I, had, I had originally said, hey, we're going to do six weeks in in our book. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. I'm going to do one more next week. It's okay. We'll live. All right, so we're going to do one more next week. And it's gonna, I'm going to wrap up everything at the end of 1 John. But we're, gonna, we're getting in today about how and why the evidence of the gospel does change our life, how it can change our life. And what it looks like. I'm actually going to give you somewhat of a test. Something that you can look at. To know whether or not that the Holy Spirit lives in you, abides in you, and you're following him. Wow. I studied many, many years. No, I didn't. Okay. This is is straight out of the Bible. This is straight out of information that God wants us to have. First of all, can I, just say, can I just say the word wow? And I know we talked around some sickness, and there were a whole lot of kids out at Summersville the Friday before last Sunday, and the bugs are going around, and people don't feel good. And, but we had an awesome day last Sunday. There were over 200 people that flooded into this building. We baptized six people in one Sunday. We have many people that have come to me and said, Matt, I want to join, want to join the church. What does that mean? How, we're going to have a first step coming up very, very soon. But what a day. The weatherman or some, whatever weather app you have, I don't, they don't. none of them tell the truth, okay? I promise. All week it said rain on Sunday, 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 rain on Sunday. Chance of not rain on Sunday. And we get to Sunday and what was it? It was Beautiful. 76 to 78 degrees, sunny, bounce house in full effect, okay? (laughs) Uh, If you check out uh, Connections page, we shared a picture that somebody took across the highway of the entire parking lot full. There's people everywhere and there's bounce houses going on. I don't say that to say, wow, Connection, you are awesome. No, thank you, God, for using people that are broken like us to reach other people, to show people what Jesus tastes like. This is our our job. Do Do you understand this? This is your job. When Jesus told the disciples, go and make more, he said, you know what I taste like, now go tell other people. This is our job. This is our, this is, this is our job, but what a, what a day we had. Thank you for everybody that, uh, that uh, brought food, the help cleaned up. Um, and man, thank you, for, thank you for being a church that loves people and making new people, new guests, new visitors with us feel welcome. I talk to people all the time that come to the connection and I'll meet them and they'll say, sometimes with a frantic big eyed look, they say, I've shaken hands with like 12 people already. And I said, we just love you. Wow. Okay. After they get over the shock factor, they realize that we really do love them. We're not trying to scare them, but we're, we really do love them because acceptance in connection is not based on what you wear. Our dress code is wear clothes. We don't care what kind of vehicle you drive. We don't care where you've been in this life. We understand that we're all broken and in desperate need of a Savior. We've tasted and seen, and now our job is to tell other people. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 this morning. Do you want to begin turning there or go there in your... In your your Bibles or on your phones, 1 John chapter 2. Then we're going to look at a really familiar, maybe to some of us, a familiar story in Matthew. If not, I put a 2017 twist on it to make it look like it would happen today. Um, Application-wise, I didn't rip anything out of context. I didn't do anything like that. But I, I just wanted to show you what it would look like. But for those of you that maybe have not come along with this whole journey with us throughout this series that we're doing called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, here's the top couple things uh, that we 've learned so far, and if you if you are so inclined, you can go to ConnectionMTV.com. com um, maybe we have people listening right now on on internet, but you can go to ConnectionMTV.com com and you can go back to the archive and start in the first Sunday in September and go through the book with us okay it just, 's just audio currently we 're working on getting video and everything out there but these are some of the things that you, you will see in those sermons. number one, we looked at that God wants. You to be completely assured of your salvation. It's not a—it's not a God that plays games. He's not confusing. He's completely. Remember, we talked about. He's completely complex, and we cannot completely fathom him. But he wants you to be completely assured. We read verses that said, "I am writing to you so that you may know." It's pretty plain, right? I'm writing so that you may know. The second thing is that Jesus died in our place, right? He died in our place so that we can be assured of our salvation. Now, Jesus atone, atoning for our sin, remember that? Anybody remember that word? Somebody's saying it under their breath. Propitiation? Like, ooh, ooh that's a good word. You should, you should just randomly throw that out at work this week. Okay, just completely out of context, and some of your coworkers will be like, wow. You are way more smarter than I thought you was, right? That's because that's how they talk, right? It's okay. I told you that I wasn't an English major. <laughs> Remember? Baseball, foosball. That's what about what I majored in. And anyway, but Jesus died in our place, and it's called propitiation. Our complete atonement, okay? That Jesus' blood paid for our sins. The third thing is having the faith to believe that Jesus did this for you. Because we had the argument of some people coming through and saying, in fact, last year, I met a gentleman at that back door, and he came in. He came to church because guess what? Guess who invited him? His son? No. He didn't listen to his son. Didn't didn't come with his son. Did he listen to uh, his, his, his daughter-in-law? No, nope, didn't. But when the grandkids asked him to come to church, he came to church. And I met him in the back, the back by the back door, and he shook my hand, and he goes, I cannot believe it. I said, what? He goes, first of all, I'm in church. I said, well, That's great. I didn't know the guy's history. He said, I haven't stepped foot in a church in 35 years and the rafters are still standing in this building. And I said, well, this building, if you, if you understand the constructural part of this, of this building is built by the carpenters for Christ and it is solid. And I said, but besides that, you don't have to worry about that because you just entered a building with a whole bunch of people that are just like you, but some of them have tasted Jesus and were different. The next thing, God talks about, he says, I want you to know what it means to be repentant. Remember, the, remember, remember this? I'm sorry I got caught versus repentance. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. And, ver, and number five, uh, we talked about how God keeps us and that we cannot lose what God has placed together. And I used a Greek, a Greek word in John 10, 28, and that Greek translation literally means Kept, K E P T. Okay? It keeps our salvation. For those that, that have truly repented, truly believed, truly had the, put their hand, metaphorically, had their hand on Jesus Christ, understanding that He is the sacrifice for our sin. Biblically, it cannot be taken from you. Do you know how awesome that is? Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you have no idea what it's like to live a somewhat up and down life. Maybe you have no idea what it's like to struggle. Maybe you have no idea what it's like to sin. Wait a minute, I'm lying, right? You know exactly what it's like. Aren't you so thankful that God died, sent His Son for you? Evidently not. Are you? Yes. Here, this, do you know? Do you know what kind of hope you have because of that? Yeah, some of you, are, some of you regular connection people are going, "Uh oh, how many cups of coffee did he have?" A lot. <laughs> Just kidding. But I get excited because I can look back at my life and I have a serious, not that I want any of my kids to have it, not that I want any of your kids to have it, but I have a prodigal son story in my life. For seven years, I ran from God, ran directly away. He said, I want you to be a pastor. I said, heck no. Literally, probably I said a lot worse than that, but I said, no way. And I went that way. I know some of you are going, I can't believe he's ever said, be quiet, right? You've said him and thought him too. I ran that way. God said I want you to go this way. And I said, "Nope." For 7 years, I ran from God's calling on my life. Doing whatever I would want to, to try to fit in. I'd lay in bed at night every single night. And I would be completely, some of you have you understand exactly where I am. I was completely convicted by the Holy Spirit. "Matt, you know what you're doing is wrong. Will you just do what God wants you to do?" "No, man, I'm not going to be a pastor." It's, it's crazy. I, I even told God that I would go to a different country to be a missionary if I, if I didn't have to be a pastor. You ever worked to deal with God? How'd that go for you, right? Okay. Some of you are laughing because you know. Now, there came a time when God humbled me greatly. And I finally looked this way and I said, okay. Huh. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes we do this. Sometimes we go, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. Sometimes we do this. Oh, I really know this is what I'm supposed to do, don't we? I just go this way, and I'm so excited. You're like Eeyore spiritually. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. Listen, <laughs> Jesus died for you. So the, the, the whole theme of the story is in the prodigal son, the son comes home, and Matt came home. But if Jesus didn't hold my salvation, and whenever I ran away, there wouldn't be anything to come back to. Nothing to convict me to come back to. That's why God is amazing to me. Because when I was truly repentant, do you realize that God doesn't even remember my sin? We do, don't we? We have a great complex computer on the top of our shoulders. And we remember these things. Man, I'm, this is so good. Some of you really need to hear this this morning. You need to say, you know what? I've had doubts. Listen, I've never met a single Christian in my entire life. I've never met a follower of Jesus that can honestly, truly, 100% say, I have never had any doubt of anything of my faith. Never. I've never, if they're brutally honest with me, they can say, I've had doubts. Okay. Now watch this. I'm going to give you a checklist. Oh, some of you are like, oh, goody. Some of you note writers are like, oh, yeah, write the test. Is it going to be multiple choice? Fill in the blank. What's it going to be? Anybody like taking tests? I didn't think, so. one, 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 one. thank you God for the blessing of this one person. Look at your first blank in your in your worship handout, look at this. If you're a follower of Jesus, how has your life changed from what it was to what it is now? I really hate to say this, but it's true. I wish, I wish it wasn't true. I wish it wasn't, I wish it wasn't. At all true or ever true or never was true. I think one of the biggest holdbacks of God working in people's lives and churches is that we avoid change. Some of you understand what I'm saying. We've been stuck. I love, my, my dad is really good at cool things to say, and I'm just not, so I copy him. And he, he goes, do you know what a rut is? He goes, you've got four-wheel drive. Do you, want to, do you know what a rut is? I said, yeah, Dad, but I hope that I have four-wheel drive engaged before I make a rut so I can get out. He goes, do you know what, do you know what you're spinning your tires in a rut means, Spiritually? I said, what? He goes, do you know what a rut is? I said, Dad, it's just this great big thing that's this, and you just keep spinning and you can't get out. He goes, no, a rut is a grave with both ends knocked out of it. We avoid change so we stay put. Oftentimes, change will take us from being comfortable to not being comfortable. And then we as Americans, speaking to everyone in here and everybody in our community, and we as Americans think, no, 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 I'm too privileged, I'm too spoiled. I don't need to change. I just want to stay comfortable. God, you come to me. No. We should should be begging God to move us. Now, think about this. Connection changes quite a bit. Poof, right? Some of you come in, well, that wasn't there last week. No, it was not. And it's going to change again before Christmas. We may have a fall theme. I may put a boat on the stage. I don't know. Rem- remember when Mike did that at the primary center? He had a boat on stage? Some if you're going, what kind of church? Man, it would be awesome preaching on fishers of men if we get in there and start... I have some of my, ba- my, ba- my bass fisher buddies in here and they'll be flipping jigs at people asleep. All right? <laughs> no hooks. Okay, I promise. Just big lead weights. When they hit, you will know it. All right? If you're a follower of Jesus, how has your life changed from what it was to what it is now? Some of you can honestly say this. Maybe you, got, maybe you came to Christ later in life, and you, and you can look at me right now. And, you, and maybe some of you have told me, say, you know what? Holy cow, I remember what my life was like before Jesus. Oh, my goodness. God has changed me so much. Some of us may think, well, I don't really remember a whole lot. Before I got saved. Good. That means you had somebody instill in your life who God was at an early age. That's great. But you say, well, I don't remember. Okay, what about this? How were you five years ago? Are you any different spiritually than you were five years ago? If you are not, don't don't put this on social media. If you're not, it's not a good thing. Ask God to challenge you, to move you. God, I want to be more like you. I understand, but realize this. If you ask God to do this. it almost certainly will not be comfortable for you. Because you don't change by doing the same thing, right? That's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You change by God moving you. you taking that step and saying, I want to be different. When we talk about repentance, I like this. Repentance is not God. This was this was in the our one of our connect groups. Repentance is not this. You ready? This is what repentance is not. Repentance is not God saying you have to be perfect. If you're a perfectionist like me, okay, really, seriously, in sports I was a perfectionist. Okay, in different things, I'm a perfectionist. I just just wanna do it just the right way, right? some of you understand if you you know thank goodness this guy cuz he puts together houses is like that right thank goodness but a perfectionist says well i just i got to be i got to be perfect all the time that's 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 wrong god says i want you to follow me now you're 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 achieving you're achieving that you're going on this path because you're following the perfect one Okay, but you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. Some of you are trying and you have tried a long time. And said, I just wanna, I'll just do it by myself. Oh, man. You know the, those pieces of paper that you get with, with things that you have to assemble in your house? What's those, what are those called? Garbage. Garbage. <laughs> you know what my dad calls them? Suggestions. Some people think 55 speed limit is a suggestion. Okay, I taught driver's ed. Okay, I, I get that. But the, this piece of paper comes in. I'll never forget. He said one of the worst fights he ever had with my mom was putting a swing set together for me and my sister. He goes, it's 12 o'clock, 1, 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. He goes, me and your mom are outside in the backyard contemplating divorce. We want, both want to box each other. And he said, he wasn't being serious, okay, but, he, but he said, we were just so upset. And then my mom said the words that he did not want to hear. He goes, well, did you read the directions? He goes, why would I do that? He's, he's the guy. He's a guy, right? Okay, see, amen from the ladies. Okay, good. If you're a follower of Jesus, how has, I'm just kidding. How has your life changed from what it is or from what it was to what it is now? Look at First John 2.15. Look at this. Look at this. Love, I love this verse. I'm going to give you this checklist in your life. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Matt, are you saying that I cannot play PS4? No, I'm not saying that. Does that mean I cannot have a Corvette or a cool jack-up truck? No. It means that God is to be the priority of your life. If he's not, the world is. There is no other option. He's king or he's not king. Period. Period. There is no, they're like, well, I'd like to guess answer C. There is no C. God is the king or he's not, and that's it. First, John, John is telling these people again, he says, do not love this world. And he was talking to a lot simpler people, wasn't he, than we have today. People don't even want to read this today. But John says, don't love this world or the things it offers you. He's talking about negative things. He's talking about evil things. He's talking about things that are not of God. He says, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Yikes. What is he telling these people in this simpler Bible time? He's saying this, love your neighbor, love God. That's it. He's giving them these instructions. It says, do this, do this, follow him. How about this? Look at the next blank in your worship handout. How can we check? Some of you are like, yes, yes. Yes, I get a test. I get to take a test. Well, one person is, yes, I can't wait to take a test. But some of us inside, you didn't want to answer that question about taking tests. But you are really interested when you say, hey, how can I check my faith? I don't want anybody else to know that that I like tests. But how can I check my faith? Are there things that we can look at that can assure us that our salvation is real? Yes, but you have to look at them with authenticity. You have to look at them with purpose. And you have to look at them with an open heart and an open mind. When I when I say open heart and open mind, I'm not talking about Eastern religion of, of meditation or anything like that. What I'm talking about open heart and open mind is you being open to being corrected by God. Oh, you know, I'm not into that. You ever have one of those days? God tells you, "Say he goes, I-, I would really like for you to do this. I'm sorry, what was that? We practice spiritual selective hearing, don't you? So you're like, no, I don't. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay. But he looks, he said, how can, we, how can we check? Why do we have questions? Do you have questions? How can I know that my faith is real? What? Uh, this is one of my favorite Matt, if I'm truly a Christian, what should it look like? <laughs> um, God created different people because He didn't create a whole bunch of robots, because if he would have created a whole bunch of robots, it would have been boring, right? That's it. Good. We can all do the same thing. We all no, he didn't do that. That's great. But what does your faith look like? It looks different than mine. It does. There are people with what we call spheres of influence. It's just the people that you can reach. Listen, there are many people in this room that you can, you can reach. You can show who taste. You can show them what Jesus tastes like. You can do that. I will never meet them. I'll, even in a community this small or this big, whatever you're used to, I'll never meet these people, or they may not ever want to talk to me. Do you know why they don't want to talk to me? I'm being completely honest. Do you know why they would never want to talk to me? He's bastard got to be weird he's a pastor but you maybe maybe before maybe before god changed your life you were this or you did this or you had the connections here you hung out with these people listen this is your sphere of influence maybe you're at a school we, have, we got kids we got students on fall break in here right now that go out of state to college i will almost guarantee you never meet their roommate i just won't our spheres don't collide they're like this What are we to do? We are to to go. And Peter, we're going to be in Matthew 18 real quick. Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 23. But Peter here, (laughs) Peter is wanting to know what faith looks like, what a salvation looks like, what we should do. And we all know Peter, right? He's the one that yells out in class, then he raises his hand. Okay, He's the one that gets in trouble because of his mouth. Okay, I'm sure none of us have ever been that way. In verse 23, just before this story starts. Oh, we are in 23. I'm sorry. Is that right? Yep. Just before this story, Jesus corrects, Jesus correct, just before verse 23 happens. I read that wrong. Just before this happened, Jesus corrects the Pharisees. Now, in, it was customary to, if someone wronged you, how many times did you have to forgive them? Three times. So then Jesus comes in and he says, nope, you have, to, you have to forgive them 70 times 7. I've already done the math for you. It's 490. Because we all have those people in our life, don't we? Huh? That's one more. Okay, I'm almost done with you, right? No. <laughs> Believe me. I'm like, man, let's just jerk this one out of context and make this a math problem. All right. You have 314 more times and then we're done. Jesus just encountered the Pharisees, and they were cu- it was customary to, to forgive someone three times. And after that, they would dismiss them from their life. Okay? They, they did not have to associate with them anymore. They did not have to do that anymore. That was what the law legalistic words said. Now watch. Jesus encounters these Pharisees and says, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You have to forgive them 70 times seven times. <laughs> and they're all out there with their abacuses and... Maybe some of them are doing it in the dirt. Maybe some really bright person goes, that's 490. Okay, but, but Jesus wasn't talking about a specific number here. He shows, he shows Peter and he shows these other people what it, what it looks like for a person of faith. One of the signs or checkpoints of a person's faith is the fact that they can forgive those who have hurt them. You know what? I came to connection this morning. I really dig the popcorn. I really don't like you talking about this. We had some laughs. We had fun talking about taking tests. But when you start saying that I need to forgive somebody that wronged me, you don't know my story. You're right, I don't. But I know mine. People that wrong me, people that I need to ask forgiveness for. Can we we practice selective hearing? No, you can't. Not when you deal with the gospel and how it's changed your life. You can't deal with selective hearing. You can't do it. What are, the, what are the signs? How about this? If you. Some of you. This is going to be okay. I can hear this. I do this. I've done this. Some of you are not going to physically like me after I say this. Are you ready for this? Some of you cannot 100% of the time never admit that you were wrong. Ever. That sharp enough. This is what God says. He's saying, listen, you have to get over yourself. Because if you can't get over yourself, the gospel can't get into yourself. It's not about you. Listen, it hits me hard too. Yeah, we can always be selfish. We can always be arrogant. But some of us have a significant issue with saying, I'm wrong. Sorry. Mm." It like just lights you up inside. How has God changed you? Maybe some of you in here this morning say, you know what? I used to be that person. But since God, he has changed me. I understand that I don't have all the right answers. I understand that I don't have all the right things. I understand I need to to get along. I need to go on. (laughs) Do you keep track of how many times that person has hurt you? (laughs) One more. So, I'll forgive him again, right? Because Jesus said so. You realize that's not exactly how he meant that. He meant forgive them. How do we see a picture of this? You know what? I don't care what anybody on this earth has ever done to you. I really, really do. I love you very much, okay? Some of the things that have happened to you are not your fault. I want you to to understand. When you start talking about abuse or something like that, that's not your fault, but I want you to hear me very good. Jesus is up here on the cross and he literally talks to his dad and he says, forgive these people. They have no idea what they're doing. When's the last time somebody shoved nails through your hand? Just just a question. People that they're 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 accusing and we're putting all the blame on a completely innocent person. And he says, nope, I'm going to stay here. Jesus, Jesus didn't die. They didn't kill him. He gave up his spirit, by the way. He he let everything go. Up until until his last breath, he could have called down legion of angels. He could have evaporated the earth. But he chose not to. What held him there? Not the nails. It was love. The nails had no power over Jesus. They they are a material. You realize that Jesus helped speak into existence the materials that were used to make those nails, right? I think he understands how they work. They didn't hold him there. Love did. So Jesus tells this story. Man, this is going to come right back into play with these, with these disciples as they hear this. In a few chapters, Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. But watch this. In verse 23, we're just going to walk through this together. Look at this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. First of all, this is a kind guy. Some of you know the story. Go, no way. He lets people borrow money. He He has the big bunch of change. He lets people borrow money to pay him back. Now, not being able to pay back borrowed money was a serious offense. I think this is one of the original Dave Ramsey lessons, right? Don't do credit, okay? It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his servants' accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. So he calls them in. He would call them in one by one, probably, and he would say, do you have the money that I loaned you last year? My accountant needs to get the books right. Okay? Maybe they had an audit. I don't know. <laughs> okay? But he, he wanted to get all of, it, all of, all of the, the money back. But if you couldn't pay the borrowed money back, it was a serious offense. Well, how serious? They would sell you. Oh, that's kind of serious. That's how families got divided a lot of times in biblical times. They would sell people to make up for the money lost. And once the books were straight, we're good. They would, by the way, they, would, they, they, they didn't say, You have two weeks of vacation with your family before we take you in. No, it was, it was immediate. Okay? It, was, it was right then. Um, they were taken immediately, and enslaved, and sometimes... If the dad came up and said, "Well, he's going to bring a hundred bucks," the debt's one thirty. Well, the, the wife will be the wife will bring thirty. We'll sell them both. Okay, this, this is this is this is a huge deal. You're talking about being indebted to someone uh, and not and, and becoming enslaved until that debt is paid. Okay, this is not okay. Look at verse twenty-four. In the process, okay, so while the king is doing this. One of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions. Millions of dollars. Now, some of you like to take tests or don't mind them. I didn't mind them either. I just didn't study for them, okay? I just didn't, and I should have. But, except seminary. My grade point average is far better when I actually saw the money going out in the mailbox for my master's degree. Um, But... He said he owes you millions. Now, because I like numbers a little bit, I did something. <laughs> I did a thing. Right? 5,280 feet represents what? One mile. I took an average. And some of us are bigger than this. Some of us are smaller than this. But if you take, watch this. Watch this. If you take, I really wanted to see a million. I wanted to see what a million looks like. And I couldn't look into my bank account. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> okay. So I said, okay, if, if, let's just take an average because it's going to be easier to do this. An average person shoulder to shoulder, we'll just say for this experiment, is 24 inches, two feet. How many miles is it if you stack people side by side, shoulder to shoulder? It's over 350 miles. Is that crazy? That's, some of you are going, is he wrong? Google that. Okay. A million is a lot. Now, some of you are going, well, a million is not a lot. If that's the case, talk to me after church. God has a plan for your money, and I'm just kidding. Okay, but listen, he said he owes a million. Now, here, this is why the New Living Translation uses the term millions. It was not able to be paid back doing what he did for the rest of his entire life. It was a debt too big. How do we see this debt now? How can we make sense of that debt now? You do not deserve, nor do I, no one on this planet understands that they should, in fact, be entitled to heaven. Because you can't pay your own debt of sin. It's not payable. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot cannot say enough good things. You cannot help enough poor people. Now this is these are things that we're supposed to do after we have salvation, okay, that propels us into our stuff. But you cannot pay the debt that you owed. And this is what makes me happy. Because it was paid even though you and I didn't do it. And now we get to we literally get to go to spiritual ATM things and receive something that we didn't put in the bank. Your heart, your, your mind or heart, however you want to read it in the old Greek or in the, in, the, in the new modern day where your heart is. Okay, Your heart, once your heart belongs to God, it cannot be taken back. No policy. But you owed millions. You owed a debt that you could not pay. Now watch this picture of Jesus' grace. Does this not portray exactly what he's going to do in a few chapters? So there's a debt that you can't pay. In verse 25, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold. Just think of the anxiety. This guy probably has a family. Think of the anxiety of you being sold away from your family. Oh, watch this. The master ordered he be sold along with his wife and his children. And as if that's not enough, everything he owned. Yes, that means the boat. Yes. That means the motorcycle. Yes, that means the camper. And basically, you've worked your whole life to buy these things, and now that doesn't matter anymore. It's all gone. (laughs) To pay the debt. That's how big the debt is, by the way, selling the whole family and all of your stuff. Verse 26 says, but the man fell down before his master and begged, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. The king doesn't ask this. Watch this. The king does not say, how? The king is more intelligent than that. He says this. Then his master, the guy says, I'm begging for mercy. When he says he fell down before his master, the the, probably exactly what he did translated into this is that he fell face down on the floor in total submission before his master. Grabbing his ankles, much like your kids do when you ask them to brush their teeth or something. Okay, And they like, please mom, I don't want to brush my teeth. Okay? And you're like, please kid, get in there and brush your teeth. But this is, in verse 27, this is beautiful. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Some of you need to go to someone in your life and you need to forgive a debt. Not money. Maybe you've held a grudge for too long. You need to go to them and say, you know what, this is, this is. If, because Jesus has set you free, you have so much to give. You're not under bondage under paying anything. This guy is not under bondage of paying anything. So he saved the lives, literally kept his family together, the lives of himself, his wife, his kids, and he got to keep all of his stuff. What a good master. Later in the story, we're going to have to remember that the master is also just. He forgave every cent. Every cent was forgiven. Verse 28. But when the man, the guy that was just forgiven, doesn't know anything. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand. Now, if you're like me, yes, a few thousand dollars is a large amount of money, however, is a thousand even comparable to a million. When we're talking about no, no, okay. So he owed him a smaller debt and a debt that could be paid, it could it could be paid off, okay, in payments it could be paid off. So he owed him a much less debt. This guy has just been forgiven of everything, and he runs into his other buddy and says, "Listen, look what he does. He grabbed him by the throat." Anybody that says the Bible is boring is nuts. It's like Chuck Norris. Puzzah! All right, grabs him by the throat. Give me my money, right? He said, listen, he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. Huh. Instant. It would be like, I mean, I don't. it's none of my business, but I never have. I don't do this. It's like you walk around and you, you're just grabbing somebody and say, listen, you owe me 600 bucks." And somebody reaching in their pocket and actually having 600 I mean, I don't. He says, instantly, I want it now. Look at verse 29. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. <laughs> this guy could pay the debt back. And he said, I just need a little bit more time. Can you be lenient with me? <laughs> he says, be patient with me and I will pay it. Giving your word like this in biblical times was just like a handshake in the 50s. They're going to do it. And he says, be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded. Good grief. You realize this is the same line the first man used to beg for mercy from the king for his great debt, right? 30. But this creditor wouldn't wait. Listen to what he did. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. He sent someone to prison to literally pay a debt that was much less than his. He'd been forgiven of so much and he couldn't forgive a little bit. Oh, Matt, this is starting to make sense about how I need to forgive people in my life. I hope so. We were forgiven of this huge debt called sin. And we have people in our lives that we need to say, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Some of you like twitch. I do. I've had to to apologize to people in my life, and I'm like, oh, man, they're not going to say anything back to me. I'm sorry. And they just walk away. I'm like, what? Your parents did not teach you what you're supposed to say. I'm sorry, too. Okay, They don't say it. It's not for them. It's for you. Set yourself free. You're not responsible for anybody else. You're responsible for you. You've been forgiven of the debt. You give. You can't possibly give what God's given you away. Impossible. Impossible. When some of, okay, so he, so he puts him in prison until the, be, could, until the debt could be paid in full. In 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. Yeah, shocker. He grabbed the dude by the throat. Give me my money. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Oh boy. They go to the guy that just forgave this dude of so much. And in verse 32. It comes down. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said. Tell me if you've ever liked to be called this. You evil servant. He said. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? It's like the dude almost gave him a second chance here. He said, just forgive the debt. Let it go. You're messing up a lot of stuff here. And 34, too late. And the angry king, the adjective in front of the nice king is now angry. Then the king, the angry king, sent the man to prison. Now watch, watch this: not just to prison, to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. What is tortured coming to this situation? People that do not accept Jesus Christ in their life, and they die. I cannot begin to express the torture that you will see for eternity. And it doesn't have to be anything other than this, a complete total absence of the presence of God. You and I have never experienced that, by the way, never, because God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's in all things. He's around us. And I'm telling you right now, I've never seen it, but I can guarantee you this. You do not want to ever, ever witness that. But it's very real. Some people say, well, why do you talk about hell? Because Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about where he was from. Because it's real, it's a reality. This this junk about people and churches not preaching that hell is real is wrong. Jesus speaks about it more than he speaks about heaven. It's a consequence for the debt that we owe. And he said, Listen, I paid it. Well, you just So he says, you'll be tortured until you'd paid his entire debt. When you die without Jesus Christ, your hope is gone. It's not there. It's all gone. Look at verse 35. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Is he saying we're going to be tortured physically? No. Listen to me. You have been forgiven. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven a huge, 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 huge debt. And sometimes we get hung up on the little stuff. I'm, I'm involved in this. I'm in this boat with you. I am. I don't think that I'm not. Because I've had to go to people in my life. I will continue to have to go to people in my life and say, hey, I'm sorry I did this. I told you a couple months ago I apologized to somebody at church. Wow. And you know what happened last week? Somebody did something. They thought they hurt my feelings and they apologized to me. They didn't. <laughs> but I said, I said, hey, you know what? I appreciate that. That way I didn't leave here and things were all different. And I didn't know if you were upset. And I, I didn't know if I'd hurt you or you'd hurt me or what was going on. That's what a follower of Jesus and a follower of Jesus do. We've both been forgiven much. I forgive you. What better way to show people what Jesus tastes like than someone that doesn't know Jesus and you say, I forgive you. You can't preach a sermon that good. You can't. You, when you live something out like that, you can't possibly preach it better than that. You can't do it. Some of you speak sermons that are louder than mine when people come in. You say, hey, my name's so-and-so. I'm really glad to see you today. They could give a rip what I say in the sermon, but man, I keep thinking about that lady that really wanted to know that I was here. That's giving yourself away. Why in the world do we hold back forgiveness to others when we ourselves have been so guilty, so dirty, so slimy, so not good to people? Yet we've been forgiven. We can't forgive someone else. Here's the deal when you choose not to forgive people, you're putting your decision making over the law of love in Jesus Christ. Your decision becomes higher than God's law. Jesus said, Forgive them. Well, Jesus, you're about out of 490 times. He wasn't talking about a number of people, he was saying, Keep doing it. Keep doing it. So we get to the last blanks in the worship handout. Check this out. Here's your checklist. Do you love God? Yeah. I love God. Let me ask you this question. Do you let Him lead? Oh I thought, th- I Man, you gave us three blanks in a four blanks in a row. I thought this was gonna be just a bang, 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 bang. done. Do you love God? Yeah, I love God. I these shirts that came out two or three years ago it says Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not. He's your savior. He's, he's my, he, he's, he's my, he's, he's this, or he, you know, th- Jesus is my homeboy. Listen, I get it, but it's completely biblically wrong. Jesus is not your homeboy. When's the last time your homeboy died for you? Jesus is your savior, your king, or he's nothing. He's either lunatic, lord, or liar. You pick. Which one is he? Do you love God? I'm glad it's Sunday because now I'm not the only one that's heard these questions all week. You should have heard this sermon and how loud it was in my house. And I wasn't preaching. Okay. Do you love God? How do you show him? If you're taking notes, write this stuff down. How do you show him? Well, I go to church. Okay. Jesus says, don't neglect the meeting together. He says that. That's good. And watch this. When's the last time that you got alone with him in your Bible and you talked to him and you studied his word? You know, get busy. I get it. I get it. I understand busyness. But keep in mind that you always have time for the things that you want to do. Somebody asked me this morning, well, I suppose you've shot like five deer already. And I joked with him. I said, "No, I've shot six. I haven't." Okay, and I said, "Actually, I got to go out the other day, and I got to, I, I got I got to sit for an hour in a tree stand. What'd you do for an hour in a tree stand? You're wasting your time. You weren't there very long?" I said, "I read my Bible. I'm not super Christian." Okay, hey, I'm not, but I, I went out into. I, I knew I was just looking. I, I mean, literally watching the sun come up. That's what, what I was doing. And I just had my bow and just in case I got attacked or something. <laughs> but I was out there, I was hanging out and I was just reflecting on how good God was to me. Listen, I have the time. You, we all have the time to do the things that we want to do. If you want to play golf and it wasn't raining today, it's going to be sunny le- later on this afternoon. If you want to play golf, you will find a way to play golf. You will. And then we then we do this we say, wow, God, I'm so busy. I forgot to read your word. No, you did it. God didn't say, hey, go play golf. If he does, you might want to go. Okay. But read your Bible first. But do you love God? Do you show him? Do you study? Do you pray? Do you ask for guidance? I'm talking serious conversation with him. When's the last time that you woke up in the morning? God, who can I bless today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I involve in my life today? And how can you teach me something that I didn't know yesterday? These are very difficult questions, very hard. Do you love others? Well, heck yeah, I do. (laughs) Watch, what about the others that aren't nice to you? Well, heck no, I don't. Jesus says, Love everybody. He says, Do you love others? This is a spiritual check of yourself. Do you love God? How much are you willing to put into this relationship? Do you listen to Him? Do you ask for guidance? Do you love other people? You know yourself deep down better than I do. Maybe better, possibly better than your mate. You know yourself. Do you? Well, I had a really cool idea from one of my pastors, my pastor buddy's wife. She said, I don't know. This is just her. This is just her preference. If you help people like like that, that's this is fine. OK, I'm not saying anything wrong. She said, there's so many people along the side of the road that are asking for money. And I, but I, I want to give to them. I want to show them that I love them and God loves them. But I want to do something that I can. I don't know where that money is going to go. And this is a conviction of her. Okay, So every time they, they go to a hotel and they sleep and they stay the night. Because it's theirs with the room. She's not stealing. She keeps the shampoo and the soap. And she goes to Walmart and she buys little packages of Kleenexes And she makes these Ziploc bags. And they have hand sanitizer and stuff. And she hands them to those people. Wow. (laughs) She's making an impact in her community. Seriously, they know who she is. The people traveling through there know who she is. And they know what church is involved with it. What what a cool way to show love to other people, right? three, look at this. What does your present posture look like? I told you a couple weeks ago that it doesn't remember. Some people come to me and they say, man, I just don't. I do not remember the exact day that I asked Jesus to come into my life. Okay, what does your present posture show you? Does it show you that you made a commitment a long time ago in your life or not? Is Jesus the king of your life? Look at this last verse. and I love, I love how John, and we're going back to chapter 5, and he says this. We need to have confidence in what God has done in our life. And if he hasn't done anything in your life, if he hasn't encountered you and changed you, Maybe you don't have that relationship yet. So this is what I'm going to say. If you want to talk about that relationship, you come and talk to me. You talk to some one of our lead team in the church. We'll talk with you after church one-on-one. We can get a grasp of this. Okay, but right here, God wants you to know. People that follow him, he wants you to know this. John writes, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know what you, that you have eternal life. Did John know, laying on the island of Patmos, probably outside of Greece, that in 1900 and some years, that we were going to be reading 1 John 5.13 in connection? (sighs) No. But what he did is he did right here exactly what God had told him to do. He's leaving a legacy of faith. We do it with our kids. We do it with the people that we come in contact with that will live after us. I told you last week, connection is not a place. Connection is involved in its community. It's a people. And connection is much bigger than any of us together and all of us by ourselves. It's bigger. I've written this to you so that you believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God is not confusing. He's utterly, completely, totally complex, but he's not confusing. He says, believe in me. Repent of your sin. Live for me. Love like I love. That's what he says. And there's an easy question. Easy question. Looking at this, is this a relationship that you either have or you don't have? We'll bring everything together as we finish up the book. If you're still doing your reading, we'll do, bring everything in next week um, I'm excited about what God is doing here. I'm excited that that you braved the rain. I don't know if it's still raining. I don't know. Anyway, enjoy your day. God, who can I bless today? Who can I involve in my life today? Can I pray for somebody that I come in contact with? This is really easy. If some of you are getting ready to go out to eat, you're going to go into our community right now. Okay, you're going to go. You're going to sit down. There's going to be a waiter or a waitress that comes up to you. Do you know that I've not been turned down very many times for this? Sometimes they don't have anything, but when we have a waiter or a waitress come to our table, I say, is there, we're going to pray for our meal. Is there anything that we can pray with in your life? Some people go, Well, oh, no. And they just walk away. Okay, it's okay. Pray for them anyway, because they're probably going to have a name tag on. Or if they don't say, God, you know who our waitress or waiter is and, and, and be with them today. But sometimes they share things very, very real in their life. Pray for them. Most of the time, they can't stay around because it's just not okay with their job situation. We had a girl at, um, at Lone Star that, that, said, that said, yeah, you can pray for me. And she goes, this is going to be a little awkward. And I said, how's it going to be awkward? She's, she's a follower. She's a Christian. And I said, how's this going to be awkward? She goes, well, technically, I can't. My job says that I cannot close my eyes and pray with anybody in our store. And I said, cool. What if I pray with all of our eyes open? And she goes, that would be Cool. So, and, and, and God heard us. (laughs) And we had our eyes open. Okay, just don't tell your kids. Okay, right? Hey, let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, that we can study a word that's true. God, that we can understand that Jesus did come to this earth, sent by you to die for us. He gave up his life on a cross to be the payment for our sin. He was buried, dead, dead three days pass, God, and then you raised them. Hallelujah. You raised them just so we could have hope and eternity with you if we believe it. If we would live for you, God, I challenge us today to forgive those people that owe such a smaller debt than what we owed when Jesus paid it for us. Help us, God. Lead us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.